Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. The amazing story of the prophet Jonah has much to teach us, not only about the wayward heart of Jonah, but about us and our weakness. And it teaches us about the very heart of God. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now here's this week's message. It's a pleasure to be with you again. And uh, invite you to turn with me to uh, the book of Jonah. Um, I'm going to be here for the next four weeks, including today. And we're going to look at this uh, prophecy of Jonah one chapter at a time. So, um, invite you not only to, uh, to read along with me this morning, but also to uh, take the Bible uh, sometime this week and just sink into the whole story of Jonah. Read all four chapters at the same time, paying no attention to chapter and verse, but just let the story sink into your heart and into your life. This morning we want to look at the question of who is Jonah? In other words, the issue of identity, and the question that I want to ask myself is, who am I? And the question that I'm going to encourage you to ask yourselves is, who am I? And who are we as God's people? So, reading from Jonah chapter 1, uh, the whole chapter, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great storm in the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to make you... Make the, to you to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. 
Then they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let me ask you to imagine for a moment that uh, someone comes to you and you give that person permission to ask you whatever question they like. You notice that the sailors do that to Jonah. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? And Jonah responds. He, he has an identity. So imagine someone comes to you and you've given them the permission, ask whatever you like. Well, where are you from? Notice that the question is not, where do you live now? But the question is, where are you from? What's your background? What are your roots? Who are the people in your life that have shaped you? What community gave you an identity? Where are you from? Stop to ponder that for a moment. And then maybe a question, well, what do you do? What's your identity as a worker? Not necessarily, where are you employed? But think about what you do as a human person in relationship to others. Or think about what you do as a parent. How do you parent? How are you engaged? What do you say? What is your attitude? What do you do? Or who do you serve? We all serve somebody or something. Do you serve yourself, your own ambitions? Do you serve the ambitions of your community? Do you serve your bank account? Question after question after question to help a person understand your identity. But imagine that they go even a little further and say or ask, are you a racist? Are you a person who believes that one race is superior to another by virtue of the color of their skin? or by virtue of their ethnic background, or by virtue of their nationality, or by virtue of their religion? Are you a person who thinks about superiority? I don't know if you watch the news a lot, but you know, I keep a pretty good eye on the news. And there was a rally in the United States not so long ago where uh, things were distributed. And one of the platforms of the party was that 
white people should be in the majority in the United States forever. And another plank of the platform was that Jews could only have 2% of any position of authority. Stop think about that for a moment in the light of the last century, in the light of civil rights, in the light of the Holocaust. Who are you? So these people, these sailors with whom Jonah is associated, is asking or are asking him all these questions of identity. Who is he? Well, if you look at the history of the book of Jonah, you will note that there are a lot of people who think, well, it can't possibly be true. It can't possibly be historical because, well, whales can't swallow people whole and let them live inside for three days. That is impossible. I don't know where it's located anymore, but I was once in a museum, and in the stairway uh, going up from one floor to another, there was a skeleton of the, one of the largest known whale specimens in the world, and there was a caption on the wall, which I read. Drives my kids crazy, because I read captions all the time. And they say, Dad, come on, let's go keep going. They gave me a plaque one time, because we were at Whistler, and at Whistler, we were walking this trail, and it had said, historical site. And I said, well, we've got to go take a look. And they said, Dad, come on. We've looked at all these historicals. I said, no, we've got to go take a look. So we walked there, and there was a plaque on this tree. It said, on this place in 1837, absolutely nothing happened. <laughs> they thought that was hilarious. They found a copy of that plaque, and it now hangs above my desk. <laughs> In this place, absolutely nothing happened. But, but the reality of this plaque, of what this whale said, um, the largest thing that this whale can swallow whole would be roughly the size of a grapefruit. That's it. That makes the story of Jonah a myth except people have read into the text, because the text doesn't say that he was swallowed by a whale. It just says that the Lord provided a huge fish. Oh, well, who do we serve? A sovereign God. He threw a storm on the sea. Could he have created a fish large enough for Jonah to have a place to live in for a few days? Ask the question, what is the identity of God? Is he sovereign? Is he powerful? Is he big enough to speak something like that into existence even for a moment or an instant or a period of time? Who is Jonah? If you go to 2 Kings chapter 14, you'll find that Jonah lived at the time of King Jeroboam II, who was king in the north part of Israel. You know that after David died and Solomon died and Rehoboam became king of Israel, that the kingdom was split in two. There was the ten tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south. In time, the ten tribes to the north disappeared. Jeroboam II 
was king of the ten, tri of the ten tribes to the north for 40 years, from 793 to 753 B.C., before Christ, about 800 years before Christ. And Jonah was a prophet to Jeremiah the second. You read about that in 2 Kings chapter 14. And Jonah was a prophet who gave words of encouragement to Jeremiah, or to Jeroboam. And those words of encouragement gave Jeroboam the impetus and the direction and the leadership ability to expand the borders of Israel to what it had been before. He restored the land. Just read about it in 2 Kings chapter 14. Even though, like all the other kings, and Jeroboam II was the 13th of the 19 kings that the northern part of Israel had, even though Jeroboam did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord because he continued in the sins of Jeroboam I who had created idols that Israel was called to worship, even though that happened, God blessed the people through Jeroboam II. And Jonah was a prophet to him. And then the word of the Lord comes to that Jonah, who is a, a real person. The word of the Lord comes to that Jonah and says, Now, I want you to go to Nineveh, the great city, and I want to have you preach against it because their wickedness is great and it has come up before me. Does that recall anything in your mind if you know the history of redemption? Where God comes and talks about the wickedness of a city or of cities and is concerned about what's going to happen. Well, I invite you sometime, perhaps this week, to go to Genesis chapter 18. There God comes to visit Abraham and Sarah and renews to them the promise that they will have a child. Out of that promise of a child, eventually Jesus would be born. But then God goes and takes a walk with Abraham towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to take a look because their wickedness is great and I want to see about the judgment that has to come. And Abraham is very concerned because he has family and the person of Lot and his family who live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham begins a bargaining session with God. You know, if there are 50 there will you, who are righteous, will you destroy it? No. And he works it all the way down. If there are 10, if there are 5, no, I will not destroy it. Now, we know the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's also part of, of the history of redemption, that they, it, the cities were destroyed, and Lot and his family were able to escape, and then his wife turns around to look back at her old lifestyle, and she turns into a pillar of salt. And then, eventually, the Moabites and the Ammonites come out of the, the progeny of the daughters of Lot and his family. Abraham was concerned to appeal to the mercy of God for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jonah was concerned 
How about the mercy of God being applied to the city of Nineveh and to the Assyrians because he did not want that mercy applied? The Assyrians were a growing power of influence. 30 years from this particular calling of Jonah, God would see that the Assyrians would take northern Israel into exile and it would cease to exist. 30 years later, Jonah wants nothing to do with the Assyrians. He wants no mercy for the Assyrians. He wants no kindness. He wants them simply to be destroyed. And later the prophet Nahum in chapter 3 will say that the Syrians were known for their ongoing and utter cruelty. And Jonah wants no mercy towards them. But remember his identity. As you and I need to remember our identities. I am a Hebrew, he says. I am a descendant of Abraham. I am a child of the covenant. And my mandate, as it is our mandate as covenant people in Jesus Christ, my mandate is to bless the nations so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And suddenly there's a clash within Jonah. He doesn't want the Assyrians to have mercy. He doesn't want them to be blessed. Just go and read chapter 4 of Jonah and you'll see how clear that is. But he's also told, but you're a Hebrew. You're a, a child of the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he wants to be a source of blessing to the nations of the world through the Hebrew people. Who are you, Jonah? Do you ever feel conflicted? Do you ever feel like, yes, this is true, but I don't like that truth? I don't know how to live out that truth. And then what do you do? Well, Jonah runs. He receives a summons from God. Jonah, son of Amittai, go and preach against that city of Nineveh, that great city, because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah says, no, I won't go. Some of you may know the psychologist uh, Abraham or Alexander Maslow. Uh, he's done a lot of reflection on Jonah, and I found this little poem that he wrote. Sounds like Dr. Zeus. I, wouldn't, I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea. So stop the talk and let me be. Huh. Stop the talk and let me be. God know, Jonah knows that God's not going to stop because God 
is merciful and gracious. And he is, in the words of Francis Bacon, the hound of heaven. And he will keep on pursuing. He will keep on loving. And he will keep on caring. And so Jonah runs. He runs away from God. In 2 Kings chapter 14, you know that oh, we read that Jonah's from Gath-Hepar, which is very close to the town of Nazareth where Jesus was raised. It's in northern Israel at the time. And Jonah goes to Joppa, which is a journey of some considerable distance. And he has to go to through land that is occupied and run by the Philistines, who are the traditional enemies of the people of Israel. But Jonah doesn't let that stop him. And then he, when he gets to Tarshish or to Joppa, he sees a ship of Tarshish that's going to Tarshish and he pays the fare. Notice that. He has sufficient resources. He doesn't have to work for his fare. He pays the fare and he gets on the ship and he is honest enough to tell the sailors, yep, I'm running away from God. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I'm running away. And Jonah goes. And the ship goes. And, and everything seems to go all right until this God of ours responds. He has summoned Jonah, and Jonah has swerved off the path. And he sends a storm. Now let me ask you for a moment. Have you ever received a summons from God? Go do this? And some of you may say, yes. Yeah, God told me that I should become a teacher or an engineer or a construction worker. Made it very clear to me. Or I should become a leader in the church community, or, and you fill it in. Others will say, no, I, I never received a, a summons like that. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever received a summons from God. And I want to say to you, really? What about the summons of forgive one another? You know, Pastor Adam prayed for family where relationships our struggle. Do you know of any family that has perfect relationships all the time? I don't. The only people that I've ever had an opportunity to talk with in real depth have all identified the reality of brokenness in their family. There's brokenness in me and there's brokenness in my family. And there is the need to forgive. But, but you know, Jonah hears a summons from God, and then he said, no, and he swerves off the path. Just hang on to the S's, okay? A summons, and he swerves off the path. Have you ever swerved off the path? Have you ever come to a situation where you were asked to forgive someone, said, forget it, that ain't gonna happen. I will forgive when they ask in all humility to forgive. Jesus prayed as they were nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't wait for the 
soldiers to ask for forgiveness? If he had waited or if he said, well, you should ask me for forgiveness, they would probably have laughed at him. Who are you kidding? Have you ever swerved from the path? I have. I think we need all to come to a reality that the identity that Jonah displays is an identity that's not that far from each one of us. As a matter of fact, it's probably a lot closer than we care to admit that we are comfortable with. And what happens is that God sends a storm. The Hebrew says he hurls it on the sea. He hurls it upon the sea and it gets the attention of the sailors. No doubt when the wind had initially picked up, they probably weren't too concerned about it. These were probably experienced people who had sailed across the Mediterranean from Tarshish to Joppa many times. But then it starts to become a bit unique. The wind grows stronger and begins to howl and the waves grow in height and the troughs grow in depth and when they come over the top of the wave they plunge into the trough and everything creaks and groans and they know that they need to lighten the ship and so they start to throw the cargo overboard. Now stop to think about that for a moment. They're throwing overboard their pay. They're throwing overboard the future of their families. They will come home and they'll say, sorry, we have earned nothing. The bank account is empty. We can't buy any more food. But they're trying desperately to save their lives. And they throw everything overboard. And they resort to practicing their faith even though they might have kept that faith quiet from everyone else. But all of a sudden in the foxhole of a storm on the water, everybody prays to whatever God they recognize and accept. And then the captain goes to Jonah who has gone under uh, the first floor and has laid down and is sleeping and the captain chastises him, says, wake up and pray to your God, perhaps your God, perhaps your God will rescue us. And having done everything that they could to lighten the ship, there's only one more thing that the sailors can figure out to do. That's how desperate they are to figure out things. They cast lots. How that works, I have no idea. But they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah, and they turn on him and they say to him, Who are you? What is your identity? I'm a Hebrew. I'm a person of the God who made the sea and the dry land. And notice their response. They are terrified. They are terrified because suddenly this person, Jonah, who is running from his God, has identified who his God is. He is the God of the sea and the God of the dry land. And right now, it looks like the God of the sea is going to prohibit any arrival at dry land. 
And they asked, well, what should we do? And then Jonah says, chuck me overboard with the cargo. And they think, no, that's not very nice. Would you do that? Person there, inconvenient, troublemaker, chuck them overboard. They decide not to. They row harder and harder and harder and harder, and the sea grows taller and taller and taller, and they grow harder and harder and harder, and the sea grows taller and taller and taller. And they recognize it's impossible. And they pray, Lord, don't hold the death of this innocent man against us. Innocent. Innocent man. And they chuck him overboard. And the sea calms. And they make a sacrifice and an altar and make vows to God. But please note, and I think this is so important, so please note it. They do not make a sacrifice and make vows in order to get God to do something for them. No, God has done something for them. They chucked Jonah overboard, and the sea calmed. Does that recall a story for you? If you go to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gets with his disciples into a boat. The disciples, at least most of them, have a history of being fishermen. They know how to handle a boat. They know how to handle the storm. But the storm that hits them is different. It grows wilder and stronger. And where's Jesus? Well, he's sleeping. Finally, the disciples do what the captain did to Jonah. They sort of punch him in the side. Uh, wake up. Don't you care if we perish? And Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and there is calm. And what do the disciples do in response? They ask a question of identity. Who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this? This Jesus. As you unfold the story of redemption, we come to understand that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. When Jonah says to the sailors, Chuck me overboard. It anticipates the words of Caiaphas, the high priest, as recorded in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Caiaphas says, it is better that one man should die for the people than that all should perish. 
Jesus becomes the sacrifice for our sins. Caiaphas didn't know, according to John's words, that he was making a prophecy about the nature of the sacrifice of Jesus. But you can read back onto that in terms of the sacrifice of Jonah. One person, in the eyes of the sailors, perish or perishes in order to save them and to save their ship. And Jesus dies for me and for you in order to save us from eternal separation from God. We have all received a summons. Jesus says to us, follow me. And he says to us, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And my commands is that you forgive one another, that you build each other up, and that you engage in mission to the world because my people are called to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And when we swerve, when we swerve from obedience to that path, we need to come back and repent. Jonah quit running. He said, I cannot outrun this God. Throw me into the water. And they did. We need to quit running. We need to hear the word of the Lord. Love one another as I have loved you. And when we find that really, really hard, because, well, frankly, some people are just hard to love. Love one another, we need to look then to Jesus who was the atoning sacrifice for our sin and carried the cross so that we might be free. And he said to us that we should pray and ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we might be empowered to serve. Jonah has an identity. I think you could justly label him an ethnocentrist, a person who is so focused on his people that he doesn't care about the peoples around him. I think you could even say that he has the quality of racism. It is we who are superior, and they can be shoved aside. I want nothing to do with the Assyrians. Let's just simply destroy them. That's Jonah's identity. Well, what about mine? What about yours? How do you think we should treat other people? Are the image bearers of God, whether they are white, red, yellow, black? And as image bearers of God, do they all require that they hear the good message, Jesus loves me, 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And Jesus loves you too. We all have a message, a summons, and the summons is go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We all can say, no. We can all swear from the path, but then we should not be surprised when the Lord confronts us perhaps with a storm, and he reminds us that his son, who can control the wind and the waves, is also the one who died for my sin and yours and who sets us free. Free to do what? To develop an identity that is kingdom-centered. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So think about today and perhaps throughout this week who you are in Christ and what you and I are called to do. You've been listening to the latest message in our summer series in the book of Jonah, where we're learning about the heart of mankind and the heart of God. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway. 